6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck continues his teaching on the book of Jeremiah, chapter 30 through chapter 31, verse 30. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. There's, we could talk about books, but I won't get in that. You can presume for your purposes the book of life. It may, If it ain't, it's equivalent. I won't get into those details now. But notice this expression. There's a time of trouble that... Uh, yeah, that uh, such was never since there was a nation. A nation of what? Nation Israel. Until that time. That time is yet future, isn't it? I have very grim news for you. I don't know if you don't see it very often now, but you may used to see a little sticker on bumpers, never again. It was a plea by the Israelis that never again will be there or there be a holocaust. That's not scriptural. The book of Jeremiah, the book of Daniel... Matthew 24 and others say, despite the horrors, the incredible, awesome horrors that occurred in Germany during the 30s and early 40s, apparently, if we understand the Scripture correctly, there is a time coming it's going to be worse. How do I know? Because it says there will this, this period is yet future, and it's going to be a time of trouble, such as was never since there was a nation. Of all the pain and suffering and abuse and what have you that Israel has gone through in generations, 2,000 years worth, there is a time that's going to come and it's even worse. That's the bad news. The good news is they will be delivered out of it. Oh, we could go to Isaiah 2 and 13 and 34 and Ezekiel 30 and lots of other places. It might be worth hitting Matthew 24. And we'll just pick up out of these many verses. We'll grab verse... Um, 21. Bear in mind, verse 15 announces the middle of the week or the beginning of the period, when you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. And it says, whosoever reads, let him understand. That technical prophecy I think we've covered before, and we'll come across it again, Trigger. it's an event that demarks the middle of the 70th week of Daniel, the seven-year period. The last three and a half years then ensue, and, and the Lord goes on to describe how urgent it is that they flee. Why? Because verse 21 says, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. That period of trouble is the worst. Now, you will find passages that imply that it's worldwide. I'm not denying that, but its focus is Israel. Why? Complicated question. One view is, is that from some passages in the Old Testament, one can defend the argument that before the Messiah comes back to redeem them, they have to repent of their sin and ask him back. And the remnant does that. Their prayer is described in Hosea 5 and 6. 
If you're interested in this development, it's an interesting line of reasoning, not necessarily correct, but in provocative. We, I think, covered that when we did uh, in, uh, in our study of Zechariah 12, 13, and 14. It comes up and we deal with this view. A preceding condition to the return, the return power of the Lord Jesus Christ is a petition of the remnant, which means that Satan's strategy is to destroy the remnant. And I mean Satan's uh, intense attack on Israel is specifically trying to get at the believing remnant in Israel to prevent that from happening. And as you get into that line of thinking, it is interesting because there are some scriptures that seem to suggest that. And secondly, it also helps explain why he is so intensely malevolent towards Israel. You want to know the source of anti-Semitism? All prejudice uh, and, and abuse of minorities or whatever are ungodly and are inappropriate from a humanitarian plus many other points of view. But anti-Semitism is specifically occultic, satanic, and intended in the, in, the, in, the, in the ambitions of Satan to thwart God's purpose in a very specific way. Different kind of thing. Um, and if you're interested in that subject, I recommend to you the tapes on Revelation chapter 12. We developed that whole idea when we developed the, uh, the background of Revelation chapter 12. So the tapes that on that subject may uh, help you, you know, illuminate that whole issue. Boy, it goes on. It's hard to take this subject without getting into a thousand byroads. Uh, Zechariah 12, chapter 12 and chapter 14 are rich in this area. We won't take the time now to get into that because I think we'll get totally derailed. But do you notice that Jacob will go through that period but be saved out of it? Okay? I can't, I can't touch upon the subject without highlighting Revelation chapter 3, verse 10. For lots of reasons that go far beyond our time here today, I am thoroughly convinced from my own study of the Scripture that the, the, that the Lord's dealing with the church and with Israel are almost mutually exclusive. I don't believe the 70th week of Daniel can even start while the church is on the earth. I happen to be one of those who believes what's called technically a pre-trib rapture. One of the passages that seems to be very clear to me is verse 10. In the book of Revelation, we have the seven letters of seven churches, the letters in general, but very specifically the letter of Philadelphia, contains an interesting promise. Verse 10. The letter to Philadelphia, has, they have some very, very special benefit. But specific, and these are prophetic letters, of course. And many they have several applications, one of which is prophetic. But he, he promises the church in Philadelphia, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the temptation. No, from the hour of temptation, the hour of trial, that will come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Now, the earth dwellers are a special category in the book of Revelation, but the main point, this is one of several promises that promises the church to be, uh, to not even endure, not being protected through, but kept from the hour of trial that will come upon the earth. In uh, Paul's letter, his first letter to the Thessalonians, he also promises the church that they are not called to wrath but salvation. The church will be insulated from God's wrath, not preserved through it like Israel is described. Another example of that is Isaiah. Those of you that would like to see a, a glimpse of the rapture of the church in the book of Isaiah, that's always fun because the church isn't supposed to be visible in the Old Testament, and in general that's certainly true. But I think you'll find it kind of fun if you to refresh your memory on Isaiah 26, 
Picking up about verse 19, the Holy Spirit says to Isaiah, Thy dead men shall live, together with my dead body shall they arise, awake and sing. This is a, like it, it's reminiscent of the resurrection chapter. Um, then at verse 20 and 21, I think are fascinating. Come, my people. By the way, it's the same phrase that we find in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, that breaks the book into the second half and all of that, but let that be. Uh, Come, my people, enter thou into thy chambers. Not my chambers, your chambers. Well, that's interesting. I don't know if you knew you had these chambers. And shut thy doors about thee, and hide thyself, as it were, for a little moment. For how long? until the indignation is past. Oh, really? God's indignation, his wrath being poured out upon the earth. Where are you to be? You're supposed to come. The same phrase that uh, uh, is given to John when he's called up into heaven in Revelation. Come, my people, enter thou into whose chambers? Thy chambers. What chambers are you talking about? He answers that in John chapter 14, verse 2. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come and what? Receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. I believe that's what that's alluding to very mystically. Come, my people, enter thou into thy chambers, shut thy doors upon me, and hide thyself, as it were, for a little moment, until the indignation is past. During the indignation, during the tribulation, church ain't going to be around. I can't visualize how it's handled down here, but we're not around. We're, we're in the mezzanine watching from a distance. Maybe not even that. With the doors closed, maybe we'd just as soon not watch. I don't know. Anyway, touch it. We'd enjoy that. It's always fun for if you have some post-trib types to argue from Isaiah. That's kind of fun. Anyway, get back to Jeremiah. Enough. We could spend an awful lot of time studying the Great Tribulation. Don't plan to do that. But I do want you sensitive to the fact that the Old Testament phrase, one of several, of the Tribulation is the time of Jacob's trouble. Why is that useful? Because it helps us focus on the intensity and the orientation of the Tribulation. It's the seven-year period is a time of a treaty between a world ruler and Israel. In, in the middle of that seven-year period, he violates the treaty and forbids their normal worship, which means you had a dedicated temple by then, which has all other kinds of implications, and he violates that and forces them, them to worship him. Analogous, but in a larger scale, to what Nebuchadnezzar folk, uh, required in chapter 3 of Daniel, what Antiochus Epiphanes did that led to the Maccabean Revolt from which we understand the technicalities of what the uh, abomination of desolation is. That will occur again in Israel. It will occur after the temple is rebuilt and dedicated. And when that happens, the Lord Jesus Christ's detailed instructions in Matthew 24 and 25 will pertain, because they're aimed at those who are in Judea that will see the abomination of desolation. It occurs in the Holy of Holies, which is a secret place. How can they see it on TV? It'll be a national event. And when they see that, they're not to even grab their coat. They're supposed to split, leave town, because that's leading to this horrible, horrible period of time. Okay. We got all the way down to chapter 7. I mean, verse 7. Okay, verse 8. Um, For it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will break this yoke from off thy neck and will burst thy bonds, and strangers shall no more enslave them but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. 
strange phrase. Now, most scholars, there's some that look for a literal resurrection of David, but most scholars recognize in the Hebrew language is that it's a Davidic king, it's the Mashiach, the son of David, their king. And the link, it's interesting though, it's linked with God and David. There's, they're paired in a very important way. It's clear that what's dealing with here is a messianic king. The king here is the Mashiach. And of course, we believe it's Yeshua, HaMashiach. And uh, from here, we could go to Isaiah 55, verses 3 and 4, Ezekiel 34, verse 23, Hosea 3, 5, Matthew 11, all kinds of passages here. But again, we, we have a, a problem. There is a concept in the literature called the second David, which is equal to the last Adam or the second man. Last Adam and second man are phrases Paul uses of whom? Jesus Christ. And the the, the one who will inherit David's throne is also a messianic title. Uh, it might be useful to at least take one peek at some of these verses. Let's take uh, Ezekiel 37, verse 24. And David, my servant, shall be a king over them, and they, sh and they shall have one shepherd. They shall also walk in mine ordinances and observe my statutes and do them. And they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob, my servant, in which your fathers have dwelt, and they shall dwell in it, even they and their children and their children's children forever, and my servant David shall be their prince forever. And uh, uh, that's one of these. There's many passages. That's one of them that speaks of David coming back. Now there's two views. There are some that take that very literally and look for the resurrection of David, and that's his role. More broadly understood, both rabbinically as well, well, Christian authors point out that this is messianic. What it really is a way of, in the English, it reads like it's literally David. What it really is is the the son of David, the Mashiach. So uh, I'll let you take that either way you want. The Targum and others, even the two Jewish commentaries, see this as the Mashiach, the son of David. Now, uh, what makes this kind of interesting is to take, you can't take this subject without turning to Luke chapter 1, just to give you a Christmas story. You might look at... Um, Oh, we'll pick up about verse 30. Gabriel is visiting Mary. Okay. And verse 30 says, The angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Verse 31, Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and shalt bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Yehoshua, or in the Greek, Jesus. And he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. How long is the millennial reign of Jesus Christ? thousand years according to Revelation 20? No, that's just on the earth. Some things change. How long does he reign? Forever and ever. You all know that from the Gospel of Handel, right? Chapter, yeah. Okay. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Well, what's, the, what's this millennium all about? Well, that's a thousand-year rule on the earth between two resurrections, first and second resurrection, during which Satan is bound and all kinds of strange things happen during and after. Special period. We know mostly about it from Isaiah 65, a little bit from, from Revelation, but mostly from Isaiah. Uh, one other thing, just to highlight something else, it's always fun, you, you, you turn to Isaiah 9-6, just again to, to emphasize this particular dimensionality of the Mashiach. We all you see this on Christmas cards. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. 
For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. A child is a human child, the son is a son of God. You have the, the, the incarnation there, hidden away in the language. But in any case, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Really? When did that happen during the days of the Romans? Didn't happen. I don't think the government was on his shoulder. I think all we remember on his shoulder is a cross. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God. By the way, the word uh, the word Wonderful. You know, uh, if you're wondering in, in Judges chapter twelve, that is his title, right? When he, was it the parents of Samson? We buried. What shall I call your name? The name is called Wonderful. Guess who that is? <laughs> wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it, to establish it with justice and with righteousness, from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Interesting. Many, many passages just to highlight the emphasize that, indeed, none other than Jesus Christ has a political destiny ahead of him, and it is none other than embodied in the promise that Gabriel made uh, to Mary uh, during the Annunciation. Now, is he on David's throne? No. David's throne did not exist during his reign. David's throne did not exist during, uh, during his ministry, excuse me. Because, uh, as you may have noticed, Judea was under the rule of the Romans. The only throne that was around was an, an Idumean throne by Herod. The Romans put Herod, an Idumean, a non-Jew, on the throne. That was not the throne of David. That was a Roman-established situation. So could Jesus Christ have sat on the throne of David during his earthly ministry? Answer, no. Absolutely not. The only time he allows himself to be worshipped as a king is on Palm Sunday in fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy to the very day. When he presents himself as king, only that same week, that same crowd that was laying down the palm branches are yelling before Pilate, crucify him. Crucify him. And they did. Now, what throne is he sitting on right now? Not his. His father's, right on. Revelation 3.21, Hebrews 1.3. And how long will he do that? Until the father's ready to let him make his enemies his footstool. As Hebrews 1.13 says, and as Psalm 110 predicts right up front. Okay, verse 10. Therefore fear thou not, O my servant Jacob, saith the Lord, neither be dismayed, O Israel. For, lo, I will save thee from afar, and thy seed from the, the land of their captivity. And Jacob shall return, and shall be in rest, and be quiet, and none shall make him afraid. My premise is that hasn't happened yet. When they returned from Babylon under the edict of Cyrus, the king of Persia, did they have rest? Were they quiet? Did they not be afraid? Read Nehemiah and Ezra again. They had all kinds of problems. And subsequently, problems. Then came the, uh, the Romans. I don't think the house of Israel, the Jacob, were quiet, peaceful, and not afraid during the Roman rule. When the Romans were through, by 70 AD, they get dispersed to the four nations of the earth. You can't encounter the history of any portion of the past 2,000 years and not be aware of the oppression that they faced, not only in Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union, you name it, all over the world. So have they, as a nation, 
been in rest, quiet, and none shall make him afraid. No, that's messianic yet to happen. That's yet future. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 11 says that when I regather them in the land the second time, they'll never again be uprooted. First time was regathered after Babylon. Second time since May 14th of 1948, going on right now. Are they quiet rest? No. They're surrounded by all kinds of enemies, and they are still facing this time of trouble. But post that, I mean, after that, uh, this is what this is. This is thus referring to its millennial, if you will. Verse 11, For I am with thee, saith the Lord, to save thee, though I make a full end of all nations to which I have scattered thee. Oh, really? Let's read that one again. Though I make a full end of all nations to which I have scattered thee. You mean all nations are going to be destroyed? No. If you want to find out which ones win and which ones lose, read Matthew 25. The judgment of the sheep and the goats. There's a judgment of nations. On what basis? How they treated his brethren. Who are his brethren? Israel. Yet will I not make it a full end of thee, but I will correct thee in measure and will not leave thee altogether unpunished. In other words, Israel is going to get punished, but she is going to survive. No favoritism. He will judge Israel. Verse 12, For thus saith the Lord, Thy bruise is incurable, and thy wound is grievous. There is none to plead thy cause, that thou mayest be, found, be bound up. Thou hast no healing medicines. For all thy lovers have forgotten thee. Here's referring to the, the false worship and so on. They seek thee not, for I have wounded thee with the wound of an enemy and with the chastisement of a cruel one for the multitude of thine iniquity, because thy sins were increased. I don't want to derail us into a whole side study, but for those of you that are mystics like myself, when you study Revelation 17 and 18, we speak of Mystery Babylon. Mystery Babylon makes, her at her peak, makes a strange boast. She says that, um, I am not divorced and I am no widow. She makes that boast. Do you ever notice that in Revelation? It's interesting. What's she contrasting herself to Israel, who the, the Scriptures call as being divorced, because God speaks of her that way in Hosea and elsewhere, and that she is also reviewed, viewed as a widow. Those are strange spiritual expressions, but what's provocative is that Mystery Babylon contrasts herself with Israel in that way. Obviously a little prematurely because she gets hers before it's all over. Okay, all I lovers have forgotten these with. Um, for I have wounded thee with the wound of an enemy and the chastisement of the cruel one for the multitude of thine iniquity because thy sins were increased. Verse 15, Why criest thou over thine affliction? Thy sorrow is incurable for the multitude of thine iniquity because thy sins were increased. I have done these things unto thee. Therefore, all they that devour thee shall be devoured and all thine adversaries, every one of them, shall go into captivity, and they sh that spoil thee shall be a spoil, and all that prey upon thee will I give for a prey. For I will restore health unto thee, and I will heal thee of thy wounds, saith the Lord, because they called thee an outcast, saying, This is Zion, whom no man seeketh after. How interesting it is how the nations throughout history that persecuted Israel cease to exist. And the ones that bless Israel, like the Persians and the Greeks to some extent, survive. Provocative. One of the things, and there's not much, but one of the things you can take comfort in is that the U.S. in large measure has been pro-Israel. And that isn't because we have a Jewish lobby, it's because we have a, a Jewish God that we worship.
I always get cracks about that. You know, Chuck, you're not Jewish, are you? No, but the God I worship is, and that usually generates all kinds of interesting discussion. <laughs> now, verse 18, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring again the captivity of Jacob's tents, and have mercy on his dwelling places, and the city shall be built upon its own heap, and the, and the palace shall remain after its own manner. The word heap, by the way, in the Hebrew is tell. Okay, in the Arabic it's also tell, it means mound. And if you go, if you study archaeology, you always have a tell, right? And there's tell Megiddo. It's also called Mount Megiddo, Har Megiddo, or Har Armageddon from Revelation 16, 16. But tells are very popular in the Middle East. There's a place called Tel Aviv. You can check, check uh, Ezekiel 3.15 on that one if you like. Tel El Arama in uh, Egypt. Tel Asar from first uh, six, correction, Second Kings 19.12. Uh, Tel Mela, Tel Harsha from Ezra 2.59. And uh, on it goes. Uh, you've, you've heard of tells. Tell this and tell that. Well, it's interesting here. The word here that they will be rebuilt upon their heaps is the same word. The word heap means te, is tell. And, and in these ancient sites, they become mounds, and when you rebuild the city, and it starts rising in elevation, and it ends up that most of these ancient cities there today are built on mounds, or of the old. In fact, at Megiddo, you can go down 20 levels in archaeology. Jericho is uh, also one of the oldest known wall cities in, the, uh, in evidence. Verse 19, And out of them shall proceed thanksgiving and the voice of those who make merry, and I will multiply them, and they shall not be few. I will also glorify them, and they shall not be small. Their children shall be as they were before, and their congregation shall be established before me, and I will punish all that oppress them. And their nobles shall be of themselves, and their governor shall proceed from the midst of them. In other words, this is an enormous promise, that they will be ruled by themselves, not that somebody thrust upon them. Bear in mind the context here is Babylonians, vassal king, or under the Romans where they put in Herod, the Idumean dynasty, and so forth. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Jeremiah. Download the new K-House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources. Visit the Apple or Android App Store and search K-House TV on your Roku or Fire TV streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.